morning, everybody. Welcome to Luke 418 Fellowship. We're so glad that you chose to worship with us today. Uh, and we are excited to say that tonight, our praise ministry and Moffat Road Baptist Church's praise ministry are coming together for a night of worship. We had dress rehearsal yesterday, and I've never seen the choir loft so full. But if you want to join us, there's an extra seat up there. Um, no, we, we want you to come and, and sing with us as we sing songs that are encouraging in any season of your life, but especially during times when you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do. Uh, we, we want you to invite a friend and we want to have every seat full so that we can celebrate the gospel uh, together. It was a really great time uh, of worship because uh, the body of Christ does not get stuck in four walls. It's anybody that says that Jesus is Lord. Amen? All right, well, we're going to start today... The same way that we have started for three weeks in a row. And that is with baptism. Will you look to the baptistry, please? Well, what a joy it is to worship together this morning. Uh, It's my great joy to introduce you to Taylor. Donald, come on down, Taylor. I've gotten to know this young man uh, over the last couple of weeks and got to hear his story. I wish we had time for you to hear his entire story, but God's doing a neat work. And he's come today to say that he has accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and ready to walk in obedience with him the rest of his days. Taylor, have you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes, sir. Then upon your profession of faith, it is my great joy, my brother in Christ, to baptize you in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. (laughs) Amen. Let's pray together. Lord God, you are so good and you are so faithful. And we rejoice this day that you are the one that brings salvation. Lord, we rejoice this day in the obedience of this brother and we ask that we would all walk in obedience all the days of our lives and that you might be the one to receive all the glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Can we go ahead and clap for him one more time? That is a big step there. To say to everybody that Jesus is Lord of my life and I want him to direct my paths. And we celebrate the gospel every single Sunday that Jesus died and he rose again. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad that you're here. There is a welcome card in the seat back pocket right in front of you. You fill that out. You put it in one of those three boxes in the back, and we'd love to get you a little bit more information about Luke 418 Fellowship. But let's go ahead and stand. Why don't you welcome someone around you as we begin in worship today. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink from the water, come and thirst no more. Come all you sinners, come find his mercy. Come to the table, he will satisfy. Taste of his goodness, find what you're looking for. For God so loved the Whoever believes in Him will live forever. 
failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. Would you clap this morning? Here we go. For God so loved the world that He gave us His one and only Son to save us whoever believes in Him will live forever. The power of hell, the power of hell, forever defeated. Now it is well. I'm walking in freedom for God so loved. Let's give thanks to him today and praise his name. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise him. Praise him. For the wonders of his love. Sing that again. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms. Amen. Amen. Let's read that verse. Let's read together today. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. He was the sacrifice for us. And He died on a mount called Calvary. Let's sing together. Let's sing Years I Spent. Years I spent in vanity and pride Caring not my Lord was crucified it was for me he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there. 
as we continue in worship today. He gave us mercy. We deserve death, but He died for us. He gave us grace and a new life, a life eternal. We have so much to praise Him for, that His mercy was greater than our sins. Let's sing praise the Lord today. Praise the Lord. His mercy is more.
this life and also this race uh, to go to that finish line where we will see him face to face. We'll sing worthy is the lamb who was slain. Let's sing that together. Heidi, would you sing? Worthy is the
Jesus, your name is power. heaven we'll be singing that refrain worthy is the lamb who was slain at the end of time heaven is still preoccupied with the cross heaven is still preoccupied with Jesus' sacrifice so that means that we should be right now and in this place that amazing grace that was given to you in Christ if you made him, if you've submitted under his lordship is forever and ever so let's glory in that amazing grace as we close our congregational singing today and just sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved us.
together. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that one day we will be singing forever and ever and ever the greatness of your name, the greatness of your works. Lord, but until that time we work and we do those good things that you have set out for us to do, we pray that we would be crucified with Christ today, that we would bear our cross knowing that you love us and that you died for us, Lord. Let us boast in nothing but your name today. That we would sing that you are worthy until you return. Amen.
I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and your praise, your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. The generation shall command your works to another, and they shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They will speak of the might of the awesome deeds you will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth in the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. And your work shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall, money shall speak of the theory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of the men and your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion expenditures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and in kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who bow down. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him and to all who call on the truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. not worthy. Choir, thank y'all so much. That was a great, great worship song this morning. We are pleased and we are honored to have Dr. Jim Shaddix coming and 
sharing God's word with us this week as Brother David is still on sabbatical this month. Dr. Shaddix is a preaching professor at Southeastern Seminary in North Carolina, and he has been there for, I guess, I think it's 11 years now. We are honored to have his wife, Ms. Deborah, with us this morning flying down, as well as Dallas and Philip here, their son-in-law and daughter, who I went to college with and worked at Lifeway when we still had a brick-and-mortar store here in Mobile. And so we are glad to have them here this morning. Dr. Shaddix is a faithful, faithful preacher. And I was thinking through the song that we just sang, that we give this to the next generation and the next generation. One of the most impactful sermons that I have ever uh, heard in my life was from Dr. Shaddix years ago when you were at Brook Hills. And so I was not there in person. I, I watched this online years later. But it was called The Stewardship of Discipleship. And I remember you preaching from 2 Timothy, and it's the passage where Paul is talking to, to Timothy and says, I know this lives in your grandmother and your, your mother, and I'm sure this same spirit resides in you. Entrust this to faithful men. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And then that song kind of brought that back to my memory. It was a, a sermon that I remember God shaping my life that he has given us this good deposit. He, he, he has given us his, his word. And we handle his word with care, and we teach his word with care. And if we fumble with this, and we miss this, and we don't pass it on correctly to the next generation, we missed it, and we messed up. And so I'm going to pray for you, Dr. Shaddix, and come and give us the word this morning. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for today. God, I thank you for the time you give us to be able to gather. God, to, to study your word. God, I pray for Dr. Shaddix as he brings your your word to us today, God, I pray that we have ears that are attentive, God, that, that we are listening, God, that we are hungry to hear from you. God, I pray that your spirit will flow from Dr. Shaddix to give us the words that we need to hear, God, that our hearts are open, God, that we receive it, God, and that we will be corrected where we need to be corrected, God, reproof where we need to be reproved, God, encouraged where we need to be encouraged, God, that we leave out of here knowing that we've met with you and we've heard from you, God, and we've been obedient to what you have for us today. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, Matthew. Good morning, church. First Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bible. I'm going to ask you to help me preach this morning by turning to that place in your copy of God's Word. If you came in today and don't have a copy of the Scriptures, uh, maybe there's someone sitting close to you that would uh, allow you to look on uh, with them. First Corinthians 1. While you're finding that place uh, in your Bible, let me uh, say thank you, certainly to your pastor. I know he's not here uh, but uh, through you, I'm grateful to him uh, for trusting me with this uh, stewardship of filling uh, this pulpit. But I also want to say thank you to you uh, for ministering to your pastor the way that you are and uh, giving him this little bit of break. Um, you need to understand not all churches are doing that uh, more and more are these days because they're realizing the weight of responsibility that is on the pastor of a local church. And so I'm grateful to you uh, for your ministry to him and caring for him uh, in that way. 1 Corinthians 1, I, I, I want us to think together about that deposit that uh, Matthew was referring to uh, just a moment ago. 
I want you to think with me about um, the gospel uh, that we cherish and that we hold uh, so dearly. First Corinthians, Paul is the human author, of course, but he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And that means this is God's word for us. We have the opportunity to hear his voice this morning. Let's hear and listen to see what he says to us. I want to begin reading God's word over you in verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, and Paul appeals here to Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world didn't know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Like many of you uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, I looked with great anticipation toward that event in February called the Super Bowl. I was excited uh, most this year about the Super Bowl commercials, uh, and I'm sure many of you can uh, identify with that, because you see, if my teams are not playing, one of the teams that I like, that's the highlight for me, is to to see the Super Bowl commercials. My favorite one this year was the one that was done by uh, the Workday Financial Group, in which they they featured a, a number of rock stars. Uh, and so, you know, they had the likes of Joan Jed and Billy Idol and Ozzy Osbourne and, and uh, Gary Collins and, and my favorite, Paul Stanley from uh, the famed group Kiss, which was my group favorite group growing up. I probably could have gone all day long without telling you that. I, 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 I'm sorry. I, I have repented of that. Uh, but nonetheless, it was a trip down memory lane, you know, for me. 
And what they did is they had these rock stars who were speaking to uh, what, what they referred to as the corporate types who were really killing it in the, uh, you know, in the, the business world. And all of these rock stars, one by one in different scenes, said to these uh, corporate types, stop calling each other rock stars. Uh, and so, you know, they, they would just remind them, hey, we're the ones that have the, you know, the musical skill. We're the ones that have traveled all of our lives, spoke, you know, performed in front of thousands in coliseums and arenas. We're the ones that have trashed the hotel rooms. Hey, listen, we've paid the price. Cop, stop calling each other rock stars. Now, what they were doing, obviously, was was sending a somewhat subtle message, and it's an important lesson to know, and that is, if everybody's a rock star, nobody's a rock star, right? That was their concern, protecting that. The Apostle Paul, believe it or not, writes to the Corinthian Christians, and he says to them, stop calling your preachers rock stars. You want to see it? Look back earlier in chapter 1. Look at what Paul says in verse 11. It's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there's quarreling among you, my brothers. What I might mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. You see, we are not the first rock star preacher culture. Or if you want to put in there our Christian musicians, you can do the same thing. This was going on in Corinth. And this was not a theological issue. We're not talking about doctrine here. I mean, notice the guys on that list. Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Christ. Those guys didn't have different theologies They all had the same theology. Here was the deal. They had begun to put their confidence in lesser things. They had begun to put their confidence in personalities. They put their confidence in presentation styles. Just like we do the same thing with our our favorite Christian leaders, musicians or preachers. Or the same thing can even happen, not just with presentation, style, and personality, but it can happen with programs in the local church. Whatever it is, it's possible for us to come to the place where we we stop putting our confidence in the gospel and we start putting them in lesser things. If everybody's a rock star, nobody's a rock star. And if everything related to gospel ministry is the gospel, then nothing is the gospel. So here's the issue at hand here. You'll see it at the end of verse 17, right before where I started reading a moment ago. Paul said, Christ didn't send me to baptize, but, he, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ to be emptied of its power. If you didn't hear that, you didn't see it, or you didn't process it, let me read it again. Lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Did you know you could do that? 
Did you know that it was possible for you to render the gospel impotent by putting your confidence and your trust in lesser things? Now, if you're tempted, you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, here in the room, watching online, and you find yourself tempted to say, well, you know, that's right, lost people can't do that. They shouldn't do that. They need to trust in the gospel. Let me remind you who Paul's writing to. This letter is written to the church at Corinth. He's speaking these words to assume, listen to me, come in here, we're close, believers in Jesus Christ. Now it's true that unbelievers can do this. They can make less of the gospel and they can trust in, in, in other things. But, but remember, Paul's writing to us. He's talking to us. Because it's possible for us as believers in Christ, as the church of Christ, to come to the place that along the way, we start putting our confidence in lesser things. It may be the personality of the preacher. It may be the speaker, musicians, presentation styles. It might be the the programs that we have in the church and a host of other things. If we had time this morning, I would, I would go on to show you in the book of 1 Corinthians how Paul mentions some of the ramifications of this, some of the things that doing this creates. One of them is unregenerate church membership. You know what I mean by that? About, I mean lost people making their way into the church and becoming part of the church and the church allowing that to happen. Another thing he says that results from it is, is, is Christians, true Christians, actly, acting like unbelievers. Really living a powerless, powerless and, 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 and life of the natural man. This has serious ramifications. So those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our sins have been forgiven. We know we have the hope of heaven. What Paul's talking about here is still a danger for us. And that's to render the gospel impotent by putting our confidence in lesser things. So how do we avoid that? I think Paul in these verses that I read just a moment ago, he really didn't tell the Corinthians to do anything. I know today we kind of worship the idol of practical application in the pulpit and in the church. We want somebody to tell us, just tell us what to do, what to go home and do. And sometimes scripture doesn't do that. It's, it's helping us to think theologically correctly so that our practical application then becomes that which honors God. Paul really doesn't tell us anything to do. You know what he's doing? He's just reminding the Corinthians about what they know or what they should already know. He's basically saying to them, you know what? What you're doing in putting your confidence in lesser things is that is not the way you learned the gospel. And so you know what he does? He, he reminds them what they learned and embraced about the gospel. So what do we need to be reminded about today? I think two realities in this passage of Scripture. This is what I want you to listen for. I want to show you first the plan of God. The plan that he put in place in this gospel economy. The plan for our salvation. 
And it may surprise some of us because we may have forgotten that. But after that, I think he talks about the purpose that God put that plan in place. Why he did it that way. So those are the two things. That's our track to run on. The the plan of God and the purpose of God. Let's start with the plan of God. And I'm going to summarize it this way. He basically says, I think really running throughout these verses here, that his plan is salvation through weakness. It's salvation through weakness. And right there, this runs contrary to what we are raised with and what we are taught and the culture that we live in because that is not what the world says. The world says if there is salvation, salvation comes by strength. You got to be good enough you got to be righteous enough. you got to do the right things. you got to go to church, read your Bible, pray, give your offerings, come hear sermons, sing the music, keep yourself, you know, in, in a good moral position out there, but strength. But God says, my plan is, it's salvation through weakness. This plays out in three ways, I think, in this passage of Scripture. Let me show it to you. God chose, first of all, an unacceptable message. An unacceptable message. Now that message is referred to a number of ways in these verses. In verse 18, Paul calls it under the inspiration of the Spirit, the word of the cross. The word of the cross. A little bit later, he's going to be more specific in verse 23. If you look at it in your Bible, he says we preach Christ crucified. He's talking about the same thing. He's talking about the gospel. He's talking about the story of God leaving heaven one day, coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, and living a life that you can't live and I can't live. A life that actually meets God's standard for getting into heaven. A perfect life. And and, and not only that, not only did he live a life that we can't live, he died a death we should have died. And so when Paul talks about Christ crucified, he's speaking, I think, about the whole Christ event, but at the heart of it is the fact that Jesus Christ took our place. He he went to the cross, and there he took Jim Shaddix's place, he took your place, and there he incurred the wrath of God on our sin. He stepped in between us and the wrath of God against sin. That's good news, isn't it? That's a good place to say amen right there, if you're a believer in Christ. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news. He not only lived a life I can't live, he died a death I should have died. But the Bible tells us that the Christ event also means that he rose from the dead to put the life of God back inside of us. And that's what Jesus does. He gives us back the life, the image that we were created to have. Now, if I could just press pause for a moment, because I know this passage is speaking to Christians. I've already told you that. This room is filled with, with most of you in here. I, I know today that, that, that have done that. You've trusted Christ. You've embraced that. But certainly in a crowd this size, there are some. There are some today. You came with a friend. You came with a relative. You wandered in here on your own. Maybe some watching online that have never, ever realized that. You didn't know he lived a life that you can't live. And you didn't know he died a death you should have died. And you didn't know he rose from the dead in order 
to give you back the life that God created you to have. And if that's you this morning, I just want from this point, I I just want to make an appeal to you. Let today be your spiritual birthday. Change your mind about your sin today. Stop not taking it seriously. Change your mind about the person of Jesus Christ. Quit thinking he was just a good teacher. And repent of your sins and trust Jesus and Jesus alone for your salvation. That's our invitation to you. That's our appeal to you today. If you've never, ever trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, Christians, you come back in here because remember, Paul's writing to us. And, and he, he talks here about this message of the gospel being a, it's an unacceptable message to people. Why? Because that reality just doesn't make sense to the world. I want you to just scan down through those verses again. And let me show you this. Let me show you what this word of the cross, this gospel is described at. Number one, it's described as folly in verses 18 and 21 and 23. This is in my English translation. In verse 25, it's called both foolishness and weakness. In verse 28, it's described as both something that is low and despised in the world as well as things that are not. All the way through this, Paul is describing how the world views that message that I described just a moment ago. It is a, listen to me, a weak message. It's a weak message. Could that really be the message that God put in place for salvation? Well, just think about it for a minute. Some of you that you've shared the gospel with people, and have you, have you ever thought about how the gospel must sound to an unbeliever? They, they listen to you share it, and then, and then they're thinking, or maybe they say, okay, let me get this straight. If I'm going to miss hell and make heaven and spend eternity with God, here's what I've got to do i got to put my confidence in a Jewish guy that lived 2,000 years ago. He was homeless, and he died on a criminal's cross outside the, the city of Jerusalem. If I'm understanding you right, you're telling me if I will give my life to him, I will trust him, who I can't see, if I'll give my life to him, I'll be saved. And you're going, yeah, that's it. You ever thought about how ridiculous... That message must sound to some people. But you see, Paul's describing here, this is the way the world sees it. They see it as folly, as foolishness. They see it as something that's weak, that couldn't make sense. And you know what he does? He even describes, if you look at it in in verse uh, 22, notice this. He says, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. The Jews were always wanting proof. Part the, part the skies, do something otherworldly, do something, you know, as if Jesus didn't do some of that supernatural stuff, but they still didn't believe, but that's what they did. Just like so many people today, man, if God just shows up, if he'll just do something, he'll just heal me of cancer, he'll just raise the dead, if he'll just, you know, do that part in the Red Sea thing or whatever the case may be, then I'll believe. And that's the way the Jews were. They were always demanding a sign. The Greeks, on the other hand... They thought it was all about wisdom and philosophy and, 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 and it, it made sense in this just almost academic, intellectual, persuasive way. And there's people that are looking for that kind of thing today. 
There are other things that could go on those lists. This is the, you know, the, the, the two primary ones Paul's up against here. And notice what he says in verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to Jews and folly to the Gentiles. That's the message that God came up with. A message that the world looks at and go, are you kidding me? Could that really be the way to salvation? And I need to trust this guy who died on a cross 2,000 years ago? And is that really what it is? God chose an unacceptable message. Not only that, he chose, a, he chose an unreasonable method of, 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 of that message coming to people's lives. Let me just summarize it this way. Many of you know this and you've heard this before. Basically, salvation by grace through faith. Salvation comes by grace, the grace of God, and it comes to an individual who puts their faith in Jesus. Notice in verse 18, he says, but to us who are being saved, language of the New Testament, this is in a, is in a, a, a form of, that, that speaks of somebody doing something to you. So he says, we are being saved, implying by someone. In verse 19, God says, I will destroy, I will destroy, I will thwart the discernment of the discerning. Look down in, you know, uh, in verse 21, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, but it pleased God. God delighted in this. This is his plan. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach, this message of Christ crucified, to save. So who's doing the saving? God is, right? He's doing this by His grace. Look at verse 24. But to those who are called. You don't call yourself. Somebody else calls you. God is doing this. He calls people to Himself. He's going to use that word again in verse 26. Consider your calling, He says. In verse 27, He uses the word chose. God chose. He uses that twice. He's going to use it again in verse 28. All of these words describe God's initiative, God's work, God's activity. Listen to me, God's grace. He came looking for us when we weren't looking for Him, right? God did this. It's by His grace. But it's embraced by those who do what? Who believe. Who put their faith in Him. Did you see it in verse 21? This, this pleased God to save those who believe. And you see, the world looks at that and says, that's it? Don't, don't I have to get my life together and get things in order and clean things up? Don't I have to be good enough? Don't I have to be more righteous than somebody else? Don't I have to earn my way into this? The world is always thinking in terms of strength. You got to do something. And yet, Paul reminds the Corinthians that God chose a message that is absolutely unreasonable with regard to its methodology, unreasonable to the world who thinks salvation could only come by power, it could only come by position, it could only come by strength. So God's plan is an unacceptable message to the world. It is an unreasonable method of embracing that And then thirdly, and I hope this encourages you today, it comes to unlikely recipients. 
unlikely recipients. Do you ever, you ever find yourself reading the Bible and you, you run across a verse or a passage and you just have to stop and say, I'm really glad that's in there. I'm really glad that's in the Bible. Well, verse 26 is one of those, Bible, one of those verses for me. Look at it. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful according to worldly standards by implication. Not many were of noble birth according to worldly standards. Aren't you glad that's in the Bible today? Aren't you glad that God says, here's the way I designed the gospel. It doesn't mean that there's nobody from a rich family that ever gets saved or there's nobody that's in a high position or makes a lot of money. That's not his point. He just simply is saying, the world thinks those things are the way to salvation. God designed the gospel and he gave it to unlikely recipients. That's you. That's me. And that's God's plan for this salvation. You see, the world looks at that. Unacceptable message. Couldn't be that way. Guy dying on the cross 2,000 years ago, rising from the dead. Give my life to him? And and an unreasonable method. You, You mean all I have to do is believe that? Trust in Him? I, I don't have to clean my life up? No, He'll do that for you. But the world's asking the question, isn't that, that, that just seems unreasonable. It just doesn't make sense because surely you've got to do something. Not only, not only an unacceptable message, an unreasonable method, but look at the people that get to play here. People like us, like you and me. Really, with regard to the ability to merit a relationship with God, we don't bring anything to the table. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care if you were born into a noble family. No matter what kind of position or power in worldly standards, none of those things, none of those things get you in right relationship with God. And that's why the general norm is, listen, General norm is people described like this. Not many of you, Paul says. Why? Because it's people, normal people, people that, that have scars, people that have skeletons in the closet, people that realize that each and every one of us are sinners, regardless of how long we've been in church, whether we were raised in a Christian family or not, every single one of us are sinners separated from God because of that sin. And Paul simply says, you know, I think sometimes it's easier for a person like that to realize they need somebody to do something for them that they cannot do for themselves. I'm glad 1 Corinthians 1.26 is in the Bible. Because what it tells me is just, just a normal guy like me has access to it. And I, I want you to know that today. I want you, regardless of your background, I want you to know this. Christians, listen to me. You say, okay, I've already got that. I trust. I realize that at some point. But here's, here's the question that's on the table. Are you still, are you living the Christian life Every day with your confidence in that. 
Because you understand the gospel is not just necessary to forgive your sins and give you the hope of heaven. The gospel is absolutely necessary for living every day of the Christian life. And you know what that means? Every day. Every day our confidence is in this. It's not in a Christian leader, a preacher, a pastor. It's not in a a Christian musician. It's not in in the person that mentored us. It's not in any of the good people that have surrounded us that we're so thankful for. It is not our church. It is not the programs that we have. It's not our denomination. None of those things are our confidence. Our confidence is in the gospel. The gospel, as we sang about in that song a moment ago, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me, that not only did that, but go down a couple of verses, you sang it, that we realize has brought us safely thus far, and will do what? It will take us safely home, right? Every day. This is why Paul recognizes that what's going on in the church at Corinth, they've started, they're, they're disunified and they're disunified. They're, they're, they're not together because they've, all, they've drawn these party lines. They say, man, my guy, my favorite guy, he's the one. And if you're not in our group, you don't follow us on Twitter, Instagram. You, you, know, you don't, you don't, you don't uh, sign up for membership on our, our, our website. You don't embrace this, then you're not in. And this is what they were doing. And it's the same thing that happens in a lot of churches today. And it was dividing them. And Paul says, stop calling your Christian leaders rock stars. Your confidence has now become in their personalities or their presentation styles or the programs of your local church and on and on we could go. That's the plan of God. It's crazy, isn't it? Look at that, really? Yeah, that's the way you learn the gospel. That's the gospel you were taught. That's the gospel that saved you. And that is the gospel that is continuing to save you and take you safely home. That's the plan of God. So why'd God do that? Well, that leads us to the purpose of God. And this won't take too long. You, you see it when you just read it a moment ago. But let me summarize it this way. Basically, Paul says, the gospel you learned is a gospel about God glorifying himself through his wisdom and not the wisdom of the world. And that really plays out, you know, in two ways. I I think it plays out in the, the evident power of the gospel in this passage of scripture over the way the world thinks. I mean, that, that runs all the way through this passage of Scripture. You've got it in verse 18. It, 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 it's, you know, we're being saved. Look at it by the power of God. In verse 19, when he cites Isaiah 29, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. I will thwart the discerning of the discernment, he says. And then in verse 20, at the end of the verse, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Look at verse 25. The foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Look at verse 27. God chose what is foolish to shame the wise, to shame the strong, he says. Verse 28. He he chose what is low and despised to bring to nothing things that are. I mean, it's almost like this is just an ESPN summary of an MMA match, and that match doesn't last long. 
What features in this passage of Scripture is the splendor and the victory and the dominance of the wisdom of God over the wisdom of the world. And God, He chose to make salvation its unacceptable message to the world, an unreasonable method to the world, and unlikely recipients like us. God chose that to demonstrate, watch this, His power over the philosophies of the world. That's what God did. But that's not all regarding this purpose of God. Yes, He's demonstrating the power of the gospel, but I want you to notice He's also protecting His glory. He's protecting His glory. Notice in verse 29 there's a purpose clause. Now, you've got to do the math here, okay? Take everything we've said up to this point which be verse 18, you know, through verse 28, all of what we've just talked about and I've shared with you, there in the language of the New Testament at the beginning of verse 29 is a purpose clause. And basically, a purpose clause is what it is. It's showing a purpose for what has just been said. Notice what he says in verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He's going to say the same thing in verse 31. He kind of appeals to Jeremiah chapter 9 here. So that, another purpose clause, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in who? The Lord. Not the preacher, not the pastor, not the Christian musician. Not their own righteousness. Not the programming of the church. Not their Christian family. We can be thankful for all of those things and more. But notice what he says. He put this plan that seems so ridiculous together, so ridiculous to the world together, so that nobody steals his glory. Let me just read you one verse. This is not on the screen. Isaiah 42 8. Listen to this. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Let me say it again. God says, my glory I give to no other. Listen, God won't share his glory with anybody. He won't share it with any organization. He's not going to share it with any just local church. He's not going to share it with you. He's not going to share it with me. God is worthy. And he's the only one that is worthy of all worship and praise. I know you know this. And glory. And he doesn't share it with anybody. Now do the math. Put all this together. Think about it. Because really, it really does. We get a glimpse of the wisdom of God. So God has tied his saving power to the gospel. Salvation from our sins, forgiveness of sins, as well as his saving power for every day of the Christian life. And in the midst of that, he has attached the release of his power. That is where life change happens, and that's where life-changing power happens. Power for the forgiveness of sins, but power for also for sanctification. Notice verse 30. Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, notice, and sanctification, and redemption. God, God's power is attached to this plan that seems so crazy to the world. And so you and I, 
We put our trust in Jesus. We embrace the gospel. But then every day of the Christian life, we're not boasting in anything else. We're not starting to put our confidence in lesser things. But we're continuing to be desperately dependent on the gospel and God releases his power through that for life transformation. And so we grow in Christ-likeness. Relationships are put back together. Homes are restored. Churches are unified. Lost people are saved as we proclaim the gospel and share the gospel. Otherworldly stuff happens through this gospel. And God put this together so that when the dust settles, nobody ought to be able to look and say, man, Look what that pastor did. Man, look what that choir did. Look what this church leader, that church leader, look what that Christian man. No, nobody ought to be able to look at any church and say, look what that church did. The only conclusion they ought to be able to come to is, only God could have done that. Only God could have done that. That's why he chose a weak message that's why he chose a message that doesn't make sense to the world because it protects his glory I, I, I want to say to you today Luke 48 I, I don't know your church even know your pastor well so I'm a stranger here But I know that the Holy Spirit inspired at some point the Apostle Paul to write a letter to a church whose tendency was to begin to put their confidence in lesser things. And I just want to challenge you today. Resolve afresh as a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't Don't ever start putting your confidence in lesser things than this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are one of those that's here today or listening, watching, it's never trusted him in the first place, let me appeal to you again today. Change your mind about Jesus. Change your mind about your sin because it separates you from God. And today, right there in your seat, wherever you are in your heart, put your trust, put your trust in Christ and him crucified. And God will put his life back inside of you. Forgive your sins. He'll put his life back inside of you. And he will set you on a journey with the hope of heaven that nobody can ever take away from you. But he also, he also sustain you with this gospel every day of your new Christian life.